Um, we want to say welcome to everybody that is here for our class. We say welcome to all our participants. We say welcome to our Facebook and our YouTube audience. We appreciate you so very much. And here comes our welcome. It's on the back one. It's going to come to the front ones here in just a moment, I'm sure. Uh, what would you do if you knew to the minute of when you would die? What would you do? Well, you would probably want to talk to your family. You, you would probably want to talk to your, your closest friends. You would want to give them some last minute instructions. And that's what we're going to find here in John 14 through John 17. Before we do that, let me remind you, starting last Thursday, we have changed up the class called Fundamentals of the Faith. How do we reach our non-Christian family and friends? One of the ways we can do it is by encouraging them to watch Fundamentals of the Faith. Each day, Monday through Saturday at 7 o'clock, we are identifying the New Testament church. You know, uh, how do we know that we're part of the church that Jesus built? Matthew 16, 18. How do we know that we are part of the church that was established on the day of Pentecost? Acts 2, 38. How do we know that we are following the New Testament pattern? In the Fundamentals of the Faith class, we are discovering the identification marks of the first century church. And if we duplicate that pattern, we're in that church. We are members of that church. So please encourage your family and friends to join us for that class. Please click on share. And when you do that, your friends and family that are with you on Facebook will automatically see that and be aware of it. Now, here in the city of Jerusalem, we are somewhere in an upper room. Now, this is the traditional location. The evidence that supports that location is weak, I'll be honest with you. Uh, so we don't know for sure where the upper room is. We know that Jesus will end up in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know where that is. And that's where he will be betrayed by Judas. But before that, before that, we're going to have an opportunity to listen to Jesus' last minute to Jesus' last-minute instructions to His disciples. That is chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, and then chapter 18 is a very special prayer. We're at the back side of your study guide, study guide 153. We've got plenty of blanks there for you to fill in the information. Let's look at the information. Okay, we've lost the uh, PowerPoint, so I apologize about that. Looks like we've lost the PowerPoint. So we're going to go old-fashioned here. No PowerPoint today. Uh, please let me know if the PowerPoint uh, comes back. We're up to chapter 14, verse 8. Philip, 
Philip said to him, now Jesus has just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As we talked about Wednesday evening, the way became a very common description of the Christians. It says they are, the Christians were first called Christians at Antioch. That's true. But as we looked at Wednesday night, so often people call them, that's the folks of the way. That's the people of the way. Because Jesus is the way. He's the only way to the Father. Now, Philip asked him, Lord, you're talking about being the way to the Father. Show us the Father. Show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Who's Philip? Well, you're going to say, well, he's one of the twelve. Well, that's true. He's one of the twelve. Philip is the practical one. If there was ever, if there was ever a CPA in the apostles, it's Philip. Here's why. He is the practical one. He's the number cruncher. Go with me now for just a moment. Let's look at how we know Philip. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Uh, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law, also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, Nazareth, that's just a one-horse town. Well, maybe, a, let's call it a one-donkey town. You know, they don't really have horses uh, as much. You know, it's a one-donkey town. That's a, that's a no-count town. Philip just said, well, the proof's in the pudding. pudding. Come and see. Come and see. Let's look at the next time we see Philip. John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 4. Now this Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and, and seeing a great multitude, this is the feeding of the 5,000, the only miracle other than the resurrection that's in all four gospel accounts. Then Jesus, seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Okay, Philip, you're the practical one. You're the number cruncher. Where are we going to be able to feed all, all these people? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what he was going to do here. It's not a surprise. He, he wasn't caught unaware. Philip answered, well, let me put my calculator to it. You know, let me put my slide rule to it and uh, calculate here. Uh, 200 denarii. 200 denarii would be approximately the wages of 200 days of working. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. The third time we see Philip. John chapter 12, verse 20. 
John chapter 12, verse 20. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And now Philip thinks, well, okay, I've got to figure this out now. They've come to me. You know, I'm the guy with the Greek name. You know, probably my parents, you know, you know they came to me because my parents gave me a Greek name. Philip came and told Andrew, let's go get Andrew. Andrew always knows what to do. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. This is the Philip that we're seeing here in John 14. This is the practical guy. He says, well, I'd like to see this Father. I'd like to see Father God. I'd like to do that. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? We've been together three years, approximately three years. Don't you know me yet? Haven't you got this figured out yet, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. If you see me, you've seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You're missing it. You're missing the point. Do you not believe that I am who did God tell Moses to tell the Egyptians who had sent him? I am. You'll notice that phrase, I am, is going to pop up quite often here. I am in the Father, and the Father in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. I'm a representative of the Father. I represent to you the Father. Believe me that I am in, I am, I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. If you don't want to believe my words, Philip, think about all the works. What are the works? The signs. We call them miracles. Think about all the miracles that I've done. Do you not believe just based on that? Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will do also. And greater works, hold on to your hat here, I'm going to explain that in just a moment. And greater works than these, he will do. Because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, we're going to explain in just a moment how to do greater works, and we're going to talk about this thing about prayer. Mind, meanwhile, let me remind you, if you do have a comment or question, text me so I can get it on the Facebook and YouTube feed. I would appreciate that so very much. How do we do greater things than Jesus did? Let me give you two ways. Two ways. You say, well, hey, how, how is that even possible? 
Think about all the miracles that Jesus did. You know, the raising of the widow's son at Nain. The raising of Lazarus. Think about all the healing he did. How can a Christian, how can Christians do even greater works? Two ways. Number one, Jesus purposely limited himself to a human body. He purposely limited himself to a human body. In so doing, he limited his outreach. He could only be in one place at one time. Now, as God the Son, as God the Son, if he had wanted to, he could have said, I want everybody who is um, blind, you're healed right now. Pow, you're healed. I want everyone who is deaf, pow, you're healed. Yeah, he could have done that. He's God the Son. But he purposely made himself the Son of Man. And in so doing, he's limited to one body with the 12. We've got 12 people going out in 12 different locations. They pass on miraculous gifts to certain people. Pow, multiplication. Actually, this is math. Okay, this is math. It's a multiplication. Now, I said there's two ways. There's two ways. The other way, think about this. After three years, how many followers did Jesus have? We guess, now this is just a guess, we guess he had just over 500. Now, why do we say that number? If you go over to the book of 1 Corinthians, when Paul is giving his facts of the resurrection, he says that Jesus appeared to just over 500. Now, we assume, we assume that he probably appeared before every follower he had at that time. That's an assumption. I can't say for sure, but that's an assumption. That he had five, just over 500 dedicated followers. Other people believe that's true, but dedicated followers, probably just over 500. How many do we have on the day of Pentecost? Three, about 3,000. And then what is it? It's 5,000. And then Luke says, I can't give you the number, it's just multiplying. That all happens in a very short period of time. In a very short period of time, we have the dedicated followers of Jesus going from maybe around 500 or so to 5,000, and now we're just multiplying. You see, once again, it's math. We've got more people out there talking about Jesus. Jesus limited himself to one voice. And now Jesus has many voices out there talking about Him to the point that in the early 4th century, even the Roman Empire had to listen. 
to Jesus. Now, oh, we got our PowerPoint back. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, Philip, Philip right here, he wants a visual glimpse. He says, show us the Father. Uh, a visual glimpse, maybe like Ezekiel's vision that was given to him. Ezekiel chapter 1 and 2, or maybe Isaiah's vision, Isaiah chapter 6, or even Moses. In fact, let's go back to Moses here. Exodus chapter 33. Moses said, verse 18, Please show me your glory. Then he, God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Jesus is giving Philip a picture of God. He says, you be able to see God? Look at me. Hebrews 1, verse 3 who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus gives us God's character, God's purpose, and God's act. How does Jesus answer our prayers? Jesus says to Philip, you know, you ask, and I'll answer. But there is a little contingency. It depends on what we're doing. Let's look at it. Prayers are answered if we ask in faith. Matthew, Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. If you pray for rain, you better grab an umbrella. You've got to believe. You've got to believe. Do we ever pray and not believe? Do we ever pray to our God, but in the back of our mind, well, oh, He won't answer. It won't be answered. We call that weak faith. Believe and pray. One of the best examples of that I have is a man named Philip. His doctors in, in Memphis said, Philip, get your life in order. You probably have about six months to live. The whole church prayed. Philip had, had a tumor. It was a tumor, you could see, it was about the size of a, of a tennis ball. It was right here. I mean, actually, you could literally see it. We prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Philip lived just over 18 years from that point. 17 good years. Last year was not great, but 17 good years. In Philip's 17 years, he was able through World Bible School to teach so many people. That became his ministry. He became 
really proficient in world Bible school and he taught so many people about God. Now, I give the credit to God. Because the doctors, every year he would go to Memphis and the doctors would say, Philip, you should be dead. We'll see you next year. Literally, that's what they said to him. Philip, you should be dead because we have no medical reason why you're still alive. We'll see you next year. And for 18 years, that's what he did. He'd go over there once a year. He'd come back. Now, God sometimes answers our prayers with a yes. In the case of Philip, he wanted Philip, I'm sure, to be involved in World Bible School, which he did get involved. And we're talking about thousands and thousands of people that he taught. Sometimes he says no because that's not what's best. And sometimes he says, well, maybe later, but not right now. We've got to ask in faith. We've got to pray in agreement with believers. I made a boo-boo. I caught it this morning. It should be Matthew 18, 19. My fat fingers hit the wrong number. Uh, it should be Matthew 18, 19. Let's look at Matthew 18, 19. And again, I say to you that if, you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it be done for them by my Father in heaven. We've got to pray as a team. We've got to pray individually, yes. But we need to pray as a team, as a church, family. We pray, how? In Jesus' name. John 14, 13 through 16. John 16, 23 through 26. We pray. We pray according to His will. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the, the petitions that we have asked of Him. You know what God wants. Do we sometimes pray in, despite the fact we know it's against God's will? We got to pray according to His will. We got to pray while obeying His will. Verse 17. Verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Or excuse me, verse 7. Verse 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Obeying His will. Obeying His will. John chapter 15, verse 7. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. While obeying His will. And also, John 15, 16, while bearing fruit. Prayers are answered if we ask in faith, if we're in agreement with believers, if we ask in Jesus' name according to His will, while obeying His will, while bearing fruit. But how about when prayers are not answered? 
The promise of answered prayer does not apply if we ask selfishly or with wrong motive. Selfishly. Well, I'd like to have $100,000. Well, I tell you what, let's just, let's just go for broke. A million dollars. I want a million dollars. Um... I was asked by a very, very, very dear friend of mine to uh, watch some videos from a, a preacher. So I watched two or three videos. The videos were quite good. But I was a little curious about this man because I'd never heard this man's name. So I did a little Google search. He's a multimillionaire. <laughs> okay. Uh, he, he's making a lot of money over his writings and all. Are we asking selfishly? Are we asking selfishly? Are we asking for the, for the wrong motives? Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do they want? They wanted to be the... God's in charge. We want to be your right hand and left hand men. We want to be in the place of honor selfishly. James. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 verse 2. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot attain. You fought in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. The wrong motive. What is the motivation behind our prayers? Is the motivation L-O-V-E? Love is the motivation that, that God wants us to have. You know, we're motivated by love to pray. Right now, I am blessed to have some students in Africa, some students in the Philippines, uh, some students in India. I've got one student in Afghanistan. I haven't heard from him. And he was always very consistent in reaching out and, and sending me questions and us talking back and forth. I've tried. I don't know. I'm praying for him. I'm praying for him because I don't know what's happened to him because he is a baptized Christian. He is a baptized New Testament Christian in a country that's very dangerous right now. So I don't know. I'm praying that he's made it somehow to the airport and maybe he's on a, a flight coming out. I, I pray. I don't know. We're asked for at least three things. Lord, what should we ask for? What should we ask for? We should ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 11, 
Luke chapter 11, verse number 13. If you then being evil, we're not perfection like God. We're imperfect. I make mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. You make mistakes. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Do we ever ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us, to help us? Here, Jesus is saying, you need to ask. Ask that the Holy Spirit will guide you. He wants to guide you, but guess what? You have to turn the wheel over to Him, you know. You know, if you got your hands on the wheel, it's hard to have someone else help you. We're to ask for workers. For workers. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. And we pray for wisdom. Uh, what's wisdom? Sometimes we say wisdom is the practical use of knowledge. Now, knowledge, we can get that by just what? Studying. You know, that's knowledge. But wisdom is knowing how to use all that knowledge. Wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. It will be given to him. Look at the writings of Paul. All except one time, Paul always starts with something positive. I'm thankful for your love. I'm thankful for your support. You, you folks are so good about praying. But I've got to tell you, there's something over here we need to work on. Did you catch what Paul did? That's, that's wisdom. If you sit down... If you are a manager of people, you don't, you don't just tear into them automatically. You set them down and you say, okay, here's what you're doing good. I appreciate this, I appreciate this, I appreciate this. But over here, there's something you need to really work on. Can you work on this? That's the way you handle people. What did Paul do when he went into Athens? I see that you are very religious. Just look around here. I see that you're very religious. Hey, you've got one over here to the unknown God. Can I talk to you about him? Would it be okay if I talked to you about the unknown God? You got one over there for him, so let's talk about him. The unknown God. Paul was wise because if you just automatically rip into somebody, they're going to probably tune you out. 
and not listen to you. If I was to go and knock on doors in the city of Chicago, I would not wear my St. Louis Cardinal baseball cap. Think about that. If I would go and knock on doors in the city of Chicago, I'm not going to wear my St. Louis Cardinal baseball cap. Why? Because Chicago hates St. Louis Cardinals, okay? And I'm automatically going to have a what? A tuned out audience. If I'm knocking on that door, all they're going to see is that cap. So I might go buy a, a Cubs cap. You know, I don't have one. I might go buy one. I think one of our greatest failings is not that we ask inappropriately or that we ask, we got five minutes here, I see it, thank you so much, or that we ask for the wrong things, but that we fail to ask at all. And so far I don't have any questions. If you do have any questions, you got five minutes. So often we just fail to ask. We forget. I remember giving a, a project to my son to do, an outside project. And he goes out there and he's trying and he fails and, and, and all. He comes back in and he says, I've tried everything. Dad, I've tried everything. Nothing works. I said, really? Did you try everything? Well, yes, Dad, I tried everything. Everything, you know. I, you know, I, I looked at it and, and all, and, and, and I just tried this, I tried that, and nothing, nothing works. I said, are you sure you tried everything? He said, yes. I said, you never asked me, and I know how to fix the problem. Why didn't you ask me? We so often fail to ask at all. We fail to ask for God's help. Luke, Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, verse number 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. What does that apply? That implies that you are seeking and that you are knocking. We could look at Ephesians 3, verse 20, James 4, verse 2. We have some assurances that our prayers will be answered. Do we forget about prayer? Do we forget about prayer? Does prayer end up being an afterthought? Do we get the cart before the horse? Do we get involved in the situation, in the problem, the need, and then suddenly we say, well, we, we better ask God blessings on this. Should we not have put the prayer first? Put the horse before the cart? Coming up, Lord willing, Wednesday night, as we look at these last-minute instructions... Jesus is speaking to His apostles. This is His last conversation with them, really, before the cross. We'll look at the following. We'll look at the barometer 
of our love for God, John 14, 15 through 21. We'll look at how that uh, we're going to have the Holy Spirit coming into play and why that becomes important. We will look at the other Judas. Did you know there's more than one Judas? We'll have the other Judas speak up here. We're going to look at how the Holy Spirit will help the apostles with divine recall. Have you ever wondered what you said and you can't remember how you said it? <laughs> well, the Holy Spirit's going to give them divine recall. The Holy Spirit will guide them. We're going to look at Jesus describing his intimate exodus and return. And we're going to see Satan's victory at a battle, but how Satan loses the war. And then we're going to talk about the preparation, preparation, the vine and the branches. And also we're going to get into what John 15 really is all about. That's coming up, Lord willing, on Wednesday evening. You have been a phenomenal class like you always are. I appreciate it. If you need any of these outlines, please grab them. We're going to put them up here in just a moment. Class is dismissed. I thank you.